again this morning. I intend, Lord willing, we'll finish our studies in John chapter 10. And next week, even though we have baby dedications, and I believe there are babies in both services being dedicated to the Lord, and that tempted me to think, hmm, should I preach something different than I was planning because there's a baby dedication? But I decided, no, I'm going to stick with the plan. We're going Deuteronomy starting next Sunday, Lord willing. And uh, I'm ready. I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to it. There is much for us to learn. Don't be thinking, oh, man, is this going to be like law, 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 law? <laughs> You'd like that, huh? All right. For you, it'll be law, law, law. But for everybody else, there's going to be lots of grace and uh, lots of things for our heart. There's much in Deuteronomy about their hearts. God is interested in their hearts. He wants people to circumcise their hearts. He says, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would always fear me and obey my commandments, the hearts. So we're gonna find a lot about heart religion for Jesus Christ in the book of Deuteronomy. But today we're in John chapter 10, and I'm gonna read God's word, follow please, starting in verse seven, going down through verse 18. Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He stood right there in front of them and looked at them and said, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me, he doesn't mean John the Baptist, he doesn't mean Ezekiel, he doesn't mean the Old Testament prophets, he means false messiahs. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. He stood there and looked at them and said those words, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will Listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again, this charge I have received from my Father. No one else had ever spoken words like these. So we're gonna get into these words today, so let's bow and pray our way in. Father, thank you for bringing us again to John chapter 10. Thank you for another day where we may gather as the redeemed of the Lord and friends maybe who aren't redeemed yet. 
And we look up to you and pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate these words, these amazing, these powerful words, and give us light in our minds and turn our hearts to love these words and to embrace them and to follow Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we want to follow you. You are our door. You are our good shepherd. Make us faithful sheep, we pray. And we pray for boys and girls downstairs, and we pray for big people upstairs who are strangers to you as shepherd, who have not yet learned that your rod and your staff, they bring comfort. And we ask that this may be a day of grace and a day of redemption, a day of salvation through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen, amen. Well, what have we learned thus far in John chapter 10? A quick review, if you will. Point number one, we learned that there are people who would damage your soul and you must flee them. Point number two, we learned that Jesus Christ is the good shepherd and you must follow him. Three, we learned that Jesus Christ is the good shepherd and he lays down his life for his sheep. Four, we learned that Jesus' sheep will hear his voice, will know him, and will believe. It's all definite. There's no maybes. There's no I hopes. While those who are not his sheep will not hear his voice, will not know him, and will not believe in him. Being one of his sheep comes first. Believing and following comes later. Now we're in point five today and some more that follow, and it's this. Jesus' sheep will not hear false shepherds. So, let me set it up. So here's what this goes to. This goes to, oh Lord, I have, I have called upon you that by grace you might forgive me of my trespasses and give me everlasting life. But Lord, there, there are a lot of voices on this planet. There are a lot of ideologies. There are a lot of religions. There's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of noise, but how I know, I'll just keep listening to the signal of your voice. There's another voice in this room. How do I know I won't get hoodwinked? How do I know I won't get fooled? How do I know I won't get deceived? How do I know I won't wind up following some cult leader or some false Christ-distorting or Christ-denying religion? How do I know? And here Jesus is telling you how you know. Look in the text, and you need your text, you need your app, John chapter 10, you need a Bible, John chapter 10. Look in the text, John chapter 10, verse 5. We see that Jesus is sheep. If you're one of his sheep, fear not, you will not hear false shepherds. They will not lead you astray. You will not follow them. Look in the text, John 10 and verse 5. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee him, flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. All right, so you get the picture. We saw in week one in John 10, the picture. You got a drone flying over the sheep pen, and you're looking down, and what do you see? There's a square, walled-in area. It's got stone walls, and there's sheep in there, and there's shepherds out here, and there's a gate, and there's a gate operator, a doorman over there, and there's wolves outside, and so on. Have I covered all the characters? And there's a stranger 
who comes to, and, and there are false shepherds who come to steal and kill and destroy. But here's the sheep in the pen. Various flocks are in there, various shepherds out here. And a stranger, not one of the shepherds, comes to the gate, comes to the door and says, here, little sheepy, sheepy, come follow your shepherd. And all the sheep have a little conference in there. Is he your guy? No, he's not my guy. Is he your guy? He's not our guy. He's nobody's guy. And they all scram. They all like stampede over to the far wall away from the gate because they don't hear the voice of that guy. They do not respond to the voice of that guy. So that's the picture. That's the illustration. And Jesus says, this is true of my sheep. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. That false prophet, that cult leader, that false religion, that Sam Harris, leader of a religion called naturalistic evolution, you'll read his book, you'll listen to a podcast by him, don't, and you'll flee. It'll give you the heebie-jeebies. The hair will stand up on your neck. Your left eye will start twitching. You'll go like, no, I don't know that voice. I'm not following that voice. I know the voice of my shepherd, and I do not hear it in his voice. This is what happens with Jesus' sheep. They don't hear the voice of a stranger. But why? What's, what's the mechanism at work here that keeps them only hearing, only believing on, only following Jesus Christ? What keeps them there? I want to I be kept there. I don't want to be led away from the grace of God that's found in Jesus Christ. I don't want to be taken captive by vain philosophies and people's traditions. So what's the mechanism that will keep me as one of Jesus' sheep hearing his voice? There's already a hint of this in chapter 6. So I'm going to take you back to chapter 6. I'll show you the verses. You don't have to flip there. Verse 44. When Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So get that picture. Here you got two people hearing the gospel. They're hearing the gospel from the word of God. They're hearing the gospel from the mouth of the word of God, the Lord Jesus. Somehow they're hearing the gospel, the revealed will of God for human salvation. And not one of them can respond favorably. Not one of them can come savingly to Jesus Christ unless the Father who sent him draws that one. Then they can. Then they will. How many come? As many as the Father is drawing in John chapter 6. So there's a drawing. What does that look like? What's the mechanism? How does that work? And this drawing is what we saw in the previous message. Theologians call it effectual calling. So we're, in, we're here, we're into the doctrine of effectual call. It's effectual. It always affects the result intended. And it's a calling. It's an inward calling. So two people hearing the gospel... And God calls the one. How does he call them? He illuminates their mind to understand and see and receive the truth of the word of God. And he turns their will to bow and bless and follow the Savior. That's effectual calling. And no one can come to Jesus Christ unless the Father does that in them. Unless the Father sends the Spirit to illuminate their understanding so they say, I see, I once was blind, but now I see. I'm seeing the truth in this. I'm seeing Christ in this. I'm seeing my Savior in this. They see, and he turns their will 
so that freely, willingly, they come to Jesus Christ and embrace him as their God and Savior. And no one can come to the Father unless the... And unless the, no one can come to the Son unless the Father who sent him draws him. And then there's this insurance. Everyone that the Father draws, I will raise him up on the last day. In other words, I will take care of everything he or she needs to wind up in heaven at the last day. I'm a start-to-finish Savior. I'm a full-service Savior. I'll get every one of my sheep safely into heaven. But again, what's the mechanism? Verse 45, Jesus takes us back to an Old Testament prophet and says, let me explain to you what I mean. Let me explain it from a prophet. It is written in the prophets, and here's the explanation. And they will all, all meaning all of the sheep, all who are going to be saved, all who will be the true people of God, all who are going to respond favorably to the gospel, and they will all be taught by God. He backs up and says it again. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father, taught by God, from the Father, comes to me. Every one of them. If you've been taught by God, you come to Christ. If you've been taught by the Father, if you've heard and learned from the Father, you come to Christ. Well, what does that mean? Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean your Bible's over there and you're over here and you're not paying any attention to what's in the Bible. It doesn't mean if you were in the first century and Jesus is on the planet, you're not near Jesus, you're not listening to him, but God mystically somehow gives you a special message in your psyche and you say, oh, I'm receiving the word of God. I am a prophet. I'm getting my own revelation. Well, that's not what this is. This is not revelation of, of words being taught of the Father. It's this. You have gotten God's word in front of you. You either have a Bible or you're listening to Jesus or you're listening to a legitimate Bible prophet, Old Testament prophet, New Testament prophet. You are hearing the authentic word of God preached. And here's what taught by God means. God puts it in you that you say, true, I believe, where'd that come from? You were just taught by God that the thing in the word, that the thing coming, the words coming out of Jesus' mouth are true. He has illumined your understanding. He has turned your will and your heart to believe and follow Christ as you see him in the gospel. So this is not what we're gonna see more of this in 1 John in a minute. This is not that you get some special little revelation and God is giving you new words that are nowhere found in the Bible. Not that. Being taught by God, learning from the Father, and so coming to Christ, is the Father is saying to you, the gospel that you're hearing from the word of God, from Jesus Christ, is true. You believe it. Nobody can drag you away from it. You believe it with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. They can hold a Glock 17 fully loaded to your head and say, deny Christ or we'll pull the trigger. And you say, you will only usher me into glory. <laughs> Go ahead and pull the trigger. Or else you're really fast and you grab the gun. <laughs> so that's the mechanism that's why they will all know the voice. That's why they will not listen to the voice of the other guy, because God keeps you there. God gives you light to know the words he's saying are not true, and the words this is saying are true, and you stick with the words. 
That's what he's talking about. They're God taught. Now, this is John 10. Let's go over to 1 John 2. Same John. Let's go to 1 John 2. And he, he gets, sheds more light on this. Verse 18. Children, putting it up for you. Children, it is the last hour. So this was 2,000 years ago. It was the last hour. This is still the last hour. It's a long last hour. We're in the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, have you heard that? So now, 2,000 years ago and ever since, many antichrists have come. Amen? I mean, there are many people on the planet who would say, like, don't follow Jesus, man. No, follow, you know, and then they fill in the blank. Don't believe the gospel. you got to work your way into, into heaven. It's works righteousness. No, there are many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Now, he describes them, verse 19. They went out from us. Now, let me just caution you. This is not talking about somebody who left one church to go to another. I'm imagining all y'all, every one of you has left one church and gone to another at some point in your life, right? All of you. Some of you, I'm looking at one, been in the same church for a long time, haven't we? Yes. But, but most of us have left one. That's not what this is about. That's not the problem. Notice the description. They went out from us, but they were not of us. Who's the us? Christians. They left the faith. They left any and all churches. They left Jesus Christ. They left the gospel. They left the word of God. They became apostates. They became heretics. And they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, truly saved, truly regenerate, Taught by God, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So somebody's been among us for a while, and then they say to us one day, you know what, Cornerstone Community Church, I don't believe in salvation by grace through faith in Christ anymore. I don't believe God created the heavens and the earth. In fact, I don't even think there's a God. or I think there's a God, but I think he's the Baha'i God or I've become a Buddhist, or I'm a Hindu, or I've become part of Islam, which is the fastest growing religion in the world, especially in Europe. And, and somebody leaves us. That's this person. Now, verse 20. But in contrast to them, they went out from us. They left Christ. But what will keep me from doing that, Lord? I want to be found in Christ at the last day. They went out. What if I go out someday? Verse 20. But you who are truly in Christ, you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. Now, there's the mechanism. What will keep me from going out? There's an anointing by the Holy One. What's the anointing, brothers and sisters? What is it? It is the, the Holy Spirit, right? He's the deposit. He's the Arabon. By him we cry, Abba, Father. God's spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are indeed children of God. You have been anointed by the Holy One. Why am I not going to follow a false shepherd? Because you have the Holy Spirit inside you, and he does some things in you that keep you following Christ, that keep you from following the cult leader. You have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. Now, he's not talking here about you've studied the Bible really, really hard, and you've memorized Deuteronomy backwards in Hebrew. 
Not that kind of knowledge. This is the same kind of knowledge we were looking at in John chapter 10, where you've, you've all been taught by God. God has caused you to say, true. I got light and my heart is turned. All right? You all have that knowledge. He goes on in verse 26. Let's get some more of this. First John 2, 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Is there anybody who's trying to deceive us in our day? <laughs> Where can we find them? Let's see, there's this thing called the World Wide Web. They're all there, and you're all there, and they're angling for your soul. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing, how am I not going to be deceived, Lord? But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. The Holy Spirit's still there. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. Don't run off with that. He's not, he's not saying you don't really need teachers in the church. No, in the Bible we see in many places there is an office of teacher. There are pastors who are supposed to be teachers. Jesus wants Peter to feed his sheep, to tend his lambs, to feed his sheep. Pastors are supposed to teach and others in the church are supposed to teach. Bless God, we have men and women in this church gifted by Christ to teach and they do. We're thankful for their ministry and we need it. He's not saying you don't need somebody to explain to you Romans chapter 9. What does he mean then? You don't need anybody to do what God has already done and put in you true. I believe, though you've been God-taught, theodidactas. You've been God-taught so that when you see the gospel and the word of God, everything in your soul says, yes, I believe. And when they show you the Quran, you say, no. Or the Apocrypha, no. Or the Baha'i faith, no. Or you name it, no. Or the cult leader down the street, no. Speaking of cult leaders, so this is happening right now. Right now, this just happened. So a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago now, at Grace Community Church in Sun Valley, California, John MacArthur has been pastor there for over 50 years now. He's still, he's 83 and still shepherding that flock. Hats off to Pastor John, the Mac, the Big Mac. So they just had their annual pastor's conference. By the way, the first one of those I went to was in probably 83. I've loved that man ever since and even before that. Anyway, they just had a conference, and they had a cult show up advertising their wares. So one of the things they had is they had a great big truck, and on the side of it, there was the name of their thing, and there was a big barcode. So you scan it with your camera, and it takes you right to their website. And then they put, they just like put flyers everywhere on the ground and on benches. And every, everywhere you go, there's one of their flyers. Here's who we are, and there's a barcode. You look at the barcode, and it takes you to their website. And on their website, they're saying, all of you Protestants have always had it all wrong. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ plus works. Your works also contribute to your justification. And without those works, you will not be justified and you will not be in heaven. That is a cult. They're not denying Christ, they're distorting Christ. And they're adding works righteousness to the gospel. And Paul says, let them be accursed. 
So there are heretics in our day. These guys are in Denver. Y'all are gonna try and figure out who is that? I wanna look at their website. Why will you not be enamored by that cult? Why will you not go follow them in their Christ-distorting error or somebody else in their Christ-less error? Why? Because Jesus' sheep will not hear false shepherds. No, the Father gives them ears to hear the voice of their shepherd. And there's like a spiritual wax when the other shepherds talk. You don't hear. So if you are regenerated by the Spirit of God, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus, old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new, Jesus himself is a full-service Savior, he will raise you up at the last day. It doesn't depend on you, it depends on him. You will not hear false shepherds. You have that anointing. That's why you're still believing. All the signal in the world. That's why you hear one voice. The voice of God in the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament. So that was point number five. Jesus' sheep will not hear false shepherds. Let's go on to point number six. This is a sweet one. You ready for a sweet one? It's sweet. It doesn't get much sweeter than this. Number six. Jesus' sheep are eternally secure and they persevere, and those two things are two sides of one coin. They're eternally secure, and they persevere. We already saw this back in chapter 6, in verse 37. Jesus says, I give my life for my sheep, and I will never cast them out. You have his assurance. He'll never say, you, sheep, I'm done with you. You messed up one too many times, sir. You're out. No, he says, I will never cast them out. And in verse 39 of chapter 6, he says, and I won't lose any. It's a lot of sheep to keep track of. You might lose a sheep. Earthly shepherds might lose a sheep. Where did that sheep get to? I didn't even see him leave. Where did he go? Oh, well, we lost one. Not Jesus. He says, if you're one of my sheep, I will never cast you out. If you're one of my sheep, I will never lose you. I'm a full-service Savior. I'll get you raised up in, in eternal life at the last day. Blessed words. But here it comes out in chapter 10. Look at verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That's affirmative. If you want his sheep, you follow him. Like the feral cats following my dad. Here it is again. If you want his sheep, you follow him. And verse 28 and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. If you're one of his sheep, hallelujah, you will never perish. You will never go to hell. You'll be, never be cast out into the outer darkness. You'll never hear the awful words, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. No, you'll never perish. And then here it is. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. What an assurance. If you're in Christ, you're in Christ's hand. It's imagery, of course. Christ holds you tightly in his hand. He's got a tight grip. And it, goes, it gets farther. And verse 29, my father 
who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And there he means not just one in purpose, but also there is inter-Trinitarian penetration. So whatever the Son does, the Father does, the Spirit does, and they're not independent. Oh, what did you do? I didn't know. I didn't do. No, whatever the Father does, the Son does, and so on. We're one in purpose, and we're one in activity, and we're both keeping the sheep for whom I laid down my life safe and secure. You're in Christ's hand and in the Father's hand right down to the last day and for eternity. You remember that advertising slogan, you're in good hands with Allstate? You're in good hands with God the Father and God the Son. No one can snatch you out of his hand. I and the Father are one, Jesus says. We're one in this purpose. No false shepherd, no cult leader, no false religion is going to get through to you. We are holding on to you. We won't lose one of you. That's assurance of salvation. That's, that's, that's I'm sorry, what's the phrase I want? That's eternal security. That's the phrase I want. There's a slide with these two terms on there. Let's see it for a second. It's, it's skipping ahead, but let's see it. Eternal security and perseverance of the saints. Now you understand there are two sides of one coin. This is what theologians call these things. They're biblical realities. Lots of passages talk about them. Eternal security is what he does. He grants you, he keeps you eternally secure. You're in his hand, he won't drop you, he won't cast you out, he won't lose you. Nobody's gonna deceive you and pry you away because God has taught you in your soul. You're eternally secure, but he uses a means for that. And one means for that is this. You also persevere. What does that mean? You keep on believing because he keeps you believing. You keep on following because he keeps you following. You keep on repenting because you're not very good at following and you mess up and you break his commandments and you sin. So what is the perseverance of the saints? It comes from, let's look at a few scriptures about it. It comes out of... Uh, well, Romans 8 has eternal security and perseverance in it. Let's go there. Romans 8, verse 35, I'll put it up for you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who's going to pry me out of his hand? Shall tribulation? Uh-oh, what if things get really rough in my life someday? Could that make me leave Christ? Could that separate me from his love that holds me in his hand? or distress, or persecution. What if we get persecuted? Could that separate me from the Savior, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? What if they hold a sword to my neck? Would I deny him? For I am sure, verse 38, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How many ways could he say nothing? Friend, once you're in Christ, you're in Christ. There's no getting back out of Christ. You won't want back out, and he won't cast you out. You're in Christ for good. He's going to raise you up at the last day. 
Here's another good reference, and this one's more on the perseverance side of things. Revelation 14, 12. Look at it with me, please. There it is. Here is the perseverance of the saints. This is where we get that phrase. It's a biblical phrase. And how are they described, these persevering saints? What does their perseverance look like? Who keep the commandments of God. Now, we understand from many passages, we keep God's commandments imperfectly, falteringly, weakly, sometimes disappointingly, and with much repenting and sorrow and mourning. Amen? Amen. But that's what we're doing when we're repenting. And we're, what are we repenting for? Because we want to keep the commandments of God. And we don't like it when we don't keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome to us. And we love him. And we want to do the things that please him and honor him. So we're grieved when we don't keep his commandments. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because we confess the Christian life is one of repenting and confessing. And coming back again and receiving fresh mercies through the blood of Christ. But this is the perseverance of the saints. That's you. Keeping the commandments of God and keeping understood their faith in Jesus. You keep on believing, and you keep on following, and he will raise you up at the last day. That is the perseverance of the saints, and it's taught in the Bible. So the one side of the coin is you're eternally secure. That's what he does for you. The other side of the coin is you will persevere. That's what you do. You keep believing, you keep following, which, surprise, is also him doing that in you. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He's the one who began it. He's the one who's completing it. Bless God for that. Otherwise, we would make a mess. How many of you think you could keep your own salvation? If Jesus said, here, I give you salvation. Now you keep it till the last day. Let's see how you do. Heaven would be pretty empty, huh? Peter reflects on this, this two-sided coin, Eternal security and perseverance of the saints. 1 Peter 1 and verse 3, here it is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us. Got to note that. Why are you born again? He caused me. He has caused us to be born again. God's the one who caused me to become a believer. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. Now, get this. That is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So there's one side of things. The inheritance is going to be kept. Like you won't get there and somehow it all wore out. And it rusted and it rotted and it's fallen apart and it's pathetic looking inheritance. No, no, it's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, it's kept in heaven for you. What about me? How do I know? I'm glad it's kept. What about me? Will I be kept till I get there? Verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. He keeps giving you faith. You keep believing for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I will raise them up at the last day. So Jesus' sheep are eternally secure and they persevere. They keep following him. They keep repenting. They keep believing. Bless God. How many of you are Jesus' sheep? 
This is what he does for you. This is what he's doing in you. Jesus' sheep. All right, time remaining. I can cover a couple more things, but they're going to be much more brief. You all right with that? You won't be like, oh, we got ripped off. All right. Seventh thing that we're noting that is taught in John chapter 10. Jesus is the door through which we must enter. Now, remember, there's already been a door in the story. Earlier on in the chapter, the door is over there on the wall, and Jesus is a shepherd. But now the metaphor changes. You can do that. He changes the metaphor, and now it's not that that's the door and he's a shepherd. Now he says, oh, now I'm the door. Let's change the story. I'm the door. Where do we see that? Well, let's go over to verse 7, John 10 and verse 7. So Jesus said again to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. But he says, I am the door. The definite article was there both times. I am the door. There's no other door. I'm the only door. So what he's saying is, of course, if you want to get into heaven, if you want to appear before the Father, you must enter through the door, and he is the door. This is an exclusive truth claim of Jesus Christ. There are no two or three or five doors or five ways into heaven. No, there's only one way in. This is John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. What comes next? No man comes to the Father but by me. So we do not believe that a sincere Buddhist because of his sincerity, will be rewarded by God and will wind up with eternal life. We do not believe that a sincere Islamic person, that God will value their sincerity, and even though they don't believe in Christ, God will apply the blood of Christ to their account. No, we don't believe that because the Bible doesn't teach that. The apostles of Jesus Christ understood this. I'll put these verses up, Acts 4, 11, and 12. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Unless someone places personal Conscious, saving faith in Jesus Christ. There's no life for them. There's no heaven for them. So don't be deceived if a Buddhist is sincere. No, they are sincerely wrong, and wrong does not lead to heaven. Jesus is the door. Now, even so great a man, and I'm not exaggerating, so great a man, so amazing a man, so unbelievably brilliant a man as Clive Staples Lewis. C.S. Lewis got this one wrong. I, Stephen R. Hartland, got something right that C.S. Lewis got wrong? Yes. What did he get wrong? Well, it appears in various of his books, but right now I happen to be reading for the second time in my life. I read it once back in the early 80s. I'm reading it again now, a book titled That Hideous Strength. It is astounding. And I'm near the end, and there are pages that I struggle to understand. And he wrote them. He didn't struggle to understand them. His, his mind just poured that stuff out. And I'm like, what, what, huh? What did that mean? Read it three times. It's brilliant stuff. 
But he gets something wrong near the end of this book, The Hideous Strength. And he presents the idea that sincere people in other religions will get in by the blood of Christ. We call that the inclusivist position. We hold to, because the Bible teaches, the exclusivist position, all who are excluded who do not have conscious saving faith in Jesus Christ. Lewis says, no, there are others who will be included. They'll get the blood of Christ applied to them even though they never knew the name of Jesus. Wrong. And then there's even worse, the universalist position, which says, ultimately, hell will be emptied as people make better decisions in the greater light of that day. Which, for some reason, leads me to think about what would it be like for the last guy left in hell? Hot. <laughs> no, Jesus is the door through which we must enter. This is why Paul says in Romans 10, how are they going to believe if they don't hear? And how are they going to hear if nobody preaches? And how are they going to preach if we don't send them? How beautiful are the feet of those who use their feet to go carry the gospel to somebody and they believe on the Lord Jesus and are saved. Jesus is the door through which we must enter. Have you entered by the door? Jesus Christ. Next. Uh, this is sweet. Number eight, Jesus gives his sheep abundant life. Abundant life. Abundant life. Life. It's hinted at in verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. What do sheep like? Pasture. What's a good life for a sheep? Pasture. I, I mentioned this in the first service, and one of our deacons, his name is Mark, Mark grabbed me in between services and said, you know, they have cows. He said, when I take cows, we move them from pasture to pasture all the time to keep them in the fresh green. When I put them in a fresh green pasture, they dance. <laughs> they jump around, they go crazy, they run around, they're all excited because they're in pasture. That's the idea, but it's sheep. He will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Psalm 23 elucidates on that. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. That's a good life. He leads me beside still waters. That's abundant life. And here in John 10, Jesus just says, I give unto them, um, what's the terminology again? They will go in and out and find pasture. And uh, verse 10, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Now the word abundant is the Greek word perisos. It's a noun, and it could be translated in these ways. Exceeding the usual number or size. It's a big life. Extraordinary, remarkable, plenty, a profusion, or simply abundance. You are to contrast it with the thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. That's not an abundant life. The deceitfulness of riches, the deceitfulness of sin... Come over to me. I'll give you a good life. I'll make you happy. Lies. Soul-damning heresies. Jesus says, no, I'm a good shepherd. I give you green pastures. This doesn't mean that your life is going to become one great big green pasture, but it means in the midst of difficult life, your heart, your soul is in green pasture territory, right? Because you can always say, yeah, but I'm saved. 
Yeah, but I'm in Christ. Look at that going on. How can you be, yeah, but I'm in Christ. I have everlasting life. What would a man give in exchange for his soul? So Christ is out to give you abundant life. He offers you abundance in this life. Some of you are like, I'm not a believer. What would it do for me if I come to Jesus Christ? Like, are there any real benefits? Well, how's abundant life sound? There is abundant life found in Jesus Christ. Don't listen to the deceitful voices. They are thieves and liars, and they steal, and they kill, and they destroy. Come to Jesus Christ. He gives you abundant life. Point nine, and then we're done. Jesus is making a new flock. Look down in verse 16. We'll be very brief on this. Verse 16, and I have other sheep. He's speaking to Jews. The other sheep are Gentiles. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, the Jewish fold. I must bring them also. They're already sheep. They're those in chapter 6 that the Father gave to the Son. They're those in chapter 6. He laid down his life for his sheep. I have other sheep. They're not saved yet. They haven't heard the gospel yet. But I must bring them also, and they will, it's definite, listen to my voice. So, what's the result? There will be one flock, one shepherd. What does he mean? No more Jew, no more Gentile, one new man in Christ. And Paul picks this up, and we saw it months ago in Ephesians chapter 3. Let me read for you. We'll put them up. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. One new man. And that's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. No Jew, no Gentile, no bond, no free. We're all one, one new man in Christ. So we have seen in John chapter 6 and John chapter 10 that Jesus is a very definite, purposeful Savior. He is accomplishing all the will of the Father. He and the Father are not disappointed in the outcome. He is working all things according to the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1.11. And all of those designated by him in eternity past as sheep, We'll hear the gospel, we'll be taught by God, we'll hear the voice of the shepherd, we'll be brought into the fold, Jew or Gentile alike, into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a full service savior. He'll get them all to the last day and raise them up to everlasting life. That's good stuff. So let's pray it in a little bit. Father, thank you for these things. They seem too great for us. We feel that they are not going sufficiently deep into our souls. And so we ask that you would help us to embrace and to love our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus. We pray that people here in this room and boys and girls downstairs who are today hearing about you, Lord Jesus, would you draw them? Father, would you draw them to the Son that they may find life? Draw people in this room who will turn and say, Lord Jesus, I believe. And I want you to be my God and my Savior. I call upon your saving name. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our door. Thank you for being the good shepherd. We love you and follow you. Right down to the last day. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you like to talk with a corner?